why don't you put your hands together for Mark Jelly? It's like you're part of the furniture here. But it is a little bit, but I still feel relatively new. I still sometimes have to get the uh, Google Maps around Geelong, especially out sort of Armstrong Creek way. That way, there's so many new uh, houses, and it's supposed to be a BMX uh, area out there that I haven't found yet. I've been told about. It's good. You it's look, good. You looked at me with so much passion, like I was genuinely interested in BMX, which I'm not. But anyway, <laughs> it's good. Hey, forgot to say welcome to our um, our crew that are joining for church online. So great you can be with church today. Absolutely. So, Hey, uh, tonight I wanted to weave together, like I said, you know, talking about scripture, hearing what God wants to say through to us through his word, but also some stories from your life, Mark, and so yeah. particularly around your dad and also the language scripture uses, like, you know, our father in heaven, like a heavenly father. Absolutely. Like, why don't you start us off by um, chatting about your, old, your uh, own dad? My own dad, yeah. Well, thanks for the opportunity, John. I know we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. It was a good opportunity uh, to share with uh, the church about what uh, God has uh, done in, in my life. And then there's some uh, stuff there that I, I was encouraged even at a young adult to speak to me a couple of weeks ago and said, oh, I've heard there's a bit of a, a story about your son that's pretty significant. And I thought, well, there is. And, and many people don't know his story. So I'm going to, at the back end, uh, just talk a, a little bit about that. But my own uh, father, I'm really uh, blessed. I've got a, a great relationship with my dad. Uh, he's uh, he's in, in Colac, lives out the back of Colac. And growing up, uh, I was uh, really fortunate as a, as a kid. I'm his only uh, son and I uh, was born and he pretty much, uh, his job uh, was really working as a professional footballer and then a football coach for pretty much 30 years of, uh, of, of his life. Um, so from a young age, um, and I know there's many who aren't interested in footy, but for me, uh, as a young kid, I just wanted to follow my dad's footsteps and uh, he he had the privilege of being able to play football at St Kilda uh, through the 70s and 80s and then also coach the St Kilda Football Club. So for me, I was Graham Jelly's son and I just thought he was my, he was my hero still in lots of ways. Uh, he was an incredible dad and that was pretty special as a kid and, uh, you know, I love that and uh, I think there's a couple of, of photos that we've got, isn't there, Jono? So there's... Yeah, I think we've got a young Mark Jelly popping up here. Let's see how we go. What have we got? Oh, worth waiting for. Look at that little cherub. What a beauty, well, you hey? squeeze those cheeks, yeah, eh? Yeah, that's good. How old were you in that photo? Oh, that's a good question, John. I'm actually not sure. Maybe two and a half, maybe? Younger? Two? Don't know. What about this next one? We've got a photo with you my dad. He's a fit unit, isn't he? He is, yeah. Short, short shorts, shorts running your family, oh, mate. They I do. See. They do. He loved the short shorts. He loved to get the rig out, the old man. So, yep. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your family growing up, like primary school kind of age. Good times? It was. It was, it was great. Uh, two younger sisters and, uh, yeah, we bounced around a little bit. So, yeah, after Dad um, finished at St Kilda, we moved up to Brisbane and then we moved uh, to Geelong. Uh, I, was, I came uh, to Geelong in uh, year eight. It was at Belmont High through my schooling and Dad uh, worked at the Geelong Footy Club. He was the uh, reserves coach and, and I got to go to the footy every single... Uh, I played footy in the, in the morning and then went to watch the Cats throughout the 90s and it was pretty special. We had footballers over regularly and it was just... That was a community. I didn't grow up in church. We weren't a, a family that uh, were open to, to God and uh, in, in that. We weren't close to that, but it just wasn't discussed. We had a, my dad's life revolved around uh, football and he's, he's, he's playing and then coaching. And that was just where we lived uh, in every day. And, and I, to be honest, I probably didn't see dad heaps. Um, he was pretty married to the, the footy club and his own uh, playing career as well. Um, but it was still uh, great to be his son. And uh, that, was, that was great and still is. That's good. So Belmont High, green uniform. Mm. Tell us a bit about your teenage years. We'll, we'll speak yeah. through this first a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, it was really good. Everything was, was rolling really well. 
Until one day, uh, out of the blue, uh, absolutely knocked me for six and my sisters as well. Uh, we got sat down by our parents and uh, i never seen my parents fight at all. And I was 16. I just turned um, uh, 16 into year 10. And, uh, and the, my parents said that they were separating. And my mum had, had, uh, had met someone else and, uh, and uh, she was moving out. And uh, I just... I just didn't know how to cope. I was an absolute, just fell apart. It really uh, caused me so much pain and stress and, and I just didn't see it coming. My dad, who was my hero in so many ways, saw him in a different light. I was really resentful and hurt by my mum and I really separated myself from my family, really uh, saw a family as, uh, as someone, as, as just, uh, just pain. And I started to really throw my life into socialising to, uh, to, my, to my friends in year 11 and 12 and obviously school was, was, uh, was part of that and just socialising and partying and, and having a good time is what uh, we used to do and, and my dad after about 12 months he actually met someone else and, uh, and uh, he used to, I'd never used to go to my mum's on our, every second weekend, I used to just have friends over and we used to just pretty much have you know, gatherings, parties most uh, every second weekend and that was the Fridays and Saturday nights so socially uh, things were, were, were buzzing um, but inside I was angry. I was hurting. I was uh, struggling to to grapple with um, with what I saw as a as a as a, a family as a functional family, and I just had so much pain. I had significant amount of pain, and and then I started to make some really uh, silly choices as well, and start to uh, get into some a lifestyle of uh, of drinking and uh, gambling. Uh, you know, I was known to always be down at the TAB and have the race guide in the back pocket all through school, uh, early tw- early uh, late teens as well with someone who loved to, to gamble and, uh, and just would, uh, was, was pretty hopeless gambler though. I know even those words you said earlier, John, I could really relate to that as I um, grew up in Geelong and in this area, growing up in Heighton and, and um, going to Belmont High. I used to say that about myself. I'm just, you know, I'm just hopeless. I, I, things started to go down a path and I felt absolutely hopeless. There's this... Um uh, Bible verse where the, the psalmist, this, the author is like, you know, describing what the circumstances that you, you may have felt yourself in. And, and the author puts it like this. It says, God, that the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Mm. You know, and oftentimes God uses really unique circumstances to get our attention. And yeah. so here's Mark Jelly, high schooler, university age. Yeah. Can you share a bit about, you know, what that passage might mean for you? Yeah, so I was quite fortunate in a lot of ways in those sort of early 20s. Uh, I had a, a few Christian uh, guys in my uni course. There was uh, one guy called Earl Moore, who's a teacher at Christian College. Some people might know Earl. And another guy called Paul Bergen, who actually was a pastor at Shakers after uni. And he's now is a belonging co in um, Tennessee. And these two guys were great Christian role models and great guys in my uni course. Um, I was uh, pretty wild at uni and um and uh, through my early 20s. But also uh, I was, uh, had a partner and, um, and she was expecting. And I, in my early 20s, I never was thinking I was uh, going to be a dad at such a young age and it was unexpected and it really uh, started to shift how I uh, started to view life. All of a sudden I was going to have to be a dad um, and it started to, things started to change. At the same time I did my teaching rounds. Uh, like I said, I had no Christian background, no Christian connection at all. But in my teaching rounds at Christian 
Christian College. And that really started to shift some things. I saw a really supportive community amongst the staff. And I had a great uh, supervisor called Scott Ellis. And he was an incredible role model. And just he modelled to me what I thought, well, this is what a father uh, looks like and the way he lived his life, his uh, Christian witness and, uh, and his faith. And uh, being in, uh, in homerooms uh, and the classes where they were praying, I'd never been in that environment before. And it started to open my heart to God. And like I said, I was in my early 20s, started to change. But at the same time, lifestyle-wise, making really silly choices, getting myself in lots of situations where I just was really not liking myself and was really feeling quite hopeless and, and uh, in despair. And, and the shame was just growing so thickly in me. Uh, and now at this stage, I'd be, I was a dad and it was beautiful to be a dad. But at the same time, I just felt so hopeless. And you had uh, one interesting moment with a motivational speaker. Did. did you share with people about that? Yeah. We all love a good motivational speaker, don't yeah. we? Yeah. So in that sort of third year of uni with those uh, two Christian guys in my uni course and some other mates, uh, they were sort of really exploring life in, in different ways. And I started getting down into sort of motivational sort of books and um, cassettes back then. Cassettes. Uh, old, You're so I? old. Oh, man. CDs, I think they were actually. No, CD cassettes. Um, and I uh, started listening to those. And I ended up at this seminar in Melbourne. And this is like 22 years ago. And uh, this seminar was all about you know, self-help, making your life better. And, and uh, for some reason, again, this wasn't a church service, but we sang that amazing hymn that many of you would have heard even growing up or, or uh, sometimes we still do it in church services or, or at funerals, is Amazing Grace. And this song, as, I, as we stood and the, and the guest speaker got everyone to stand and we sang these words and I stood in this conference at the tennis centre uh, at uh, Rod Laver Arena and, and I stood there and I, with all my sin, all my shame, all my guilt, all my just absolute just broken heart and I just had an overwhelming sense of God's presence. It just absolutely overcome me in such an amazing, incredible way, singing those songs, Amazing Grace. I opened my heart to God and I just said, God, I... I want to become closer to you. Can you help me? Can you, can you embrace me in some way? I need you. And I just cried out to him. Uh, and I just had a passion to, to learn about Christ. And I went back to, I actually was sort of, uh, things weren't working out at, at, uh, at home with my partner at the time. I was sleeping in my car. Uh, things weren't great in, in so many ways. But I went back to those guys at uni and I said, hey, oh, something's happened to me. I, I've, I think I've found God. Or can you talk to me about Jesus? And they were just like blown away. These guys were like, man. We thought, we didn't, out of everyone, we didn't think you'd become a Christian. Uh, and uh, they talked to me and gave me some staff. And I came back to Geelong as well because I was in uni in Ballarat and these guys were in Ballarat. And um, Nathan Spicer, which is Robbie's older brother who I'd grown up with, who was a Christian, uh, I knew him as a Christian guy and Christian family as well, encouraged me to come along to church and he dropped me off. We, we sort of rolled in a bit late to church. He used to tell me, oh, the singing's not really, doesn't really part of the service. That's just the pre, um, pre before the, the speaker. And, so we rolled in about uh, five minutes after it started. And I, from the moment I walked in, I just was overcome with emotion. I'd never been in an environment where, uh, where there was a, a, sense, a sense of presence of God was so real. Uh, and I'd never been in a community as well where people actually were socialising without drinking alcohol in a party setting as well. I'd never experienced that in my whole life. I was 23 years old and I'd never been in an environment where there was young and older people and, and just young adults just interacting in a, in a non drinking party scene and it just really impacted, impacted me in a significant way. But in that moment as well, I remember just having a real openness to Christ and really uh, allowing
allowing him to, to just take my sin, take my shame, take my guilt. This hopelessness that I felt about myself was so real that I just had to just let go and just trust him. It's so good. Like um, there's a... There's a quote, uh, well, there's an author, a Christian author, Donald Miller, who mm. shares a similar story. He just encountered the love of God in a really kind of random way, wasn't mm. looking for God at all, <laughs> not even interested in God. <laughs> and he, he, he was reading through the Bible where Jesus says, come and follow me. You yeah. know? And, and he, he, uh, he wrote this about those words. It's like he felt Jesus was saying, follow me, and we've got this on the screen, I have no opinion what colour the paint should be inside this prison. And I heard that and I thought, you know, we can try every, every way possible yeah. to repaint the inside of a prison cell that holds us captive. But God would come and break through, like break Absolutely. down the walls and bless us with a new life. Like even, though, even though our sin and shame actually should see us mm-hmm. remain in that prison cell. It's yeah. remarkable. And God has the most Amen. incredible ways of doing that, reaching us yeah. and setting us free. And so Breaking through. Fast forward a bit, mm. um, you know. Four kids. Tell yeah. us a bit about this family. Yeah, so I remember being in this church, and and uh, my wife was standing uh, in the arch, arch, arch in the uh, foyer. Like emotional thinking about this these times early, like I said, uh, in my early twenties, uh, and and seeing Amy and uh, and we were just yeah hit off. We were good friends for about twelve months, and then we got married. It was just a great time. I think there's a wedding photo as well with uh, a very young looking Robbie Spicer there. So we got married, uh, and uh, yeah, it was a great time. And my, my daughter Briar was a big part of that day as well. As a little girl came down, walked down the Look aisle. At, and, I reckon you yeah. and Spicer went in just right. We got a wedding. Can you give us matching haircuts? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so good. So good. It is. Yeah. I know, it was a good time. So, yeah, God was really faithful. Not long after, um, my best mate uh, at uni, Tony Costa, he came to faith as well. And my sister, Nicole Riddle, which some of you know as well, Nicole. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was a really significant time when uh, Matt and Kate Jacoby were leading our young adults. And it was just a really rich time, a great community and, and, uh, and connection with, uh, with others and, and a family as well, which I, a faith community that, and family that also um, were just, just so significant uh, for me and, and others as well. And, and we saw God do amazing stuff, and, and as much as God was uh, in it, there was you know great great opportunities to serve God in in the community and uh, and through um, yeah, through Red Frogs and through this church as well, which was which was cool. That's great. Hey, I want to change gears for a moment and um, invite us to check out the screens. I know um, many of you like may not be dads, like fathers, but you know there's something incredible that God has blessed us with, where He calls us into His family. And, you know, that I'd love to um, check out a story from Haddon, who's part of our Moolap congregation, um, sharing about this idea of, you know, his experience of God as his heavenly father. And, you know, you, I encourage you, you know, you'll hear Haddon share about, you know, what, our, what we've experienced of our own earthly dad pales in comparison to what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. So why don't we take a moment or two to check this out and we'll come back with you, Mark. Thanks, team. Um, so my name is Haddon. And I'm married uh, to Beck, and uh, I've got three beautiful kids, Grace, who's eight, Sam, who's six, and Jesse, who's just turned three. And my mum attends uh, the congregation as well, and so does um, Dave and Kathy. They're my parents-in-law. Um, so I guess just in my life, I've had this sense uh, that, I, that I was unwanted, um, uh, that I was rejected, uh, that I was unloved, and just this real sense of carrying shame. Um, and uh, I guess looking through the, the lens of shame and rejection in, in every situation, 
And, um, you know, I've done a lot of sort of spiritual work. I've done a lot of emotional uh, counselling over the last five years, but I was still holding on to something and wasn't willing to let go. And I wasn't even aware of what it was. And uh, I was sitting around the table with our good friends, um, Graham and Andrea, in uh, uh, Benalla on a Saturday night, and uh, Beck was there too. And I just needed a breakthrough. You know, I was just so tired and so weary. And uh, I just, I needed God. And this happened in March, actually. So it was just this year. It was really, it's only, it's just been really fresh in my mind. Um, and so God actually gave me, the Holy Spirit actually gave me four pictures. Uh, and the picture that I wanted to share with you was uh, this picture that I now go back to. <laughs> uh, and it was me inside my mother's womb. And all of a sudden I was aware that somebody else was in the womb with me. And it was Jesus. Jesus was in the womb with me. And all of a sudden it was go time. I was about to enter the world and I saw Jesus with me while I was traveling through the birth canal. Yeah. And, uh, and then I was caught and I wasn't caught by the hands of a, of a nurse or a midwife or a doctor or anyone else. I was caught by the hands of Jesus. He caught me. His hands were warm, they were kind, they were gentle. And he looked at me and he held me to his chest. And he started to speak words of identity into my life. He spoke words of, of truth, words of love. He said, Haddon, I love you so much. I chose you before I created the world. You are loved. There is nothing wrong with you. You are wanted. And, uh, and uh, that was the picture. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm feeling uh, discombobulated, if I'm feeling anxious, if I feel that um, shame come up or the rejection come up, I just go back to that picture. And I just remember that I am absolutely loved and there's nothing that I can do that can separate me from the love of God and that I'm his boy. So wherever you're at, um, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or what you haven't done, um, you are loved by God. Um, you are chosen, you are wanted, you are unique, you are special and there is a place for you in God's family. That's cool. Thanks, Haddon, for sharing that uh, that's part of your story. And I want to, you know, that's a really intimate picture. And I mean, chatting with, listening to Haddon, that really impacted him. You know, would you share a bit? You touched on earlier your own family and particularly your son, Sam. Just share, because you've got some intimate stuff too that went on there. I think that'd be a real blessing to people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is a story that uh, that some may have heard before. I know it was uh, quite uh, well known, I suppose, around uh, this church uh, when uh, Sam was first born. But I'm aware even in this congregation, there may be many that had heard this story. So when Amy and I first were married, we were uh, looking forward to, to having kids uh, at, at some stage. And when we finally made that decision to have kids, we thought it 
it all would be uh, would go all, all pretty well. And and it, uh, she felt, and my wife fell pregnant, which was which was great. And about 13 weeks, um, we went in for a scan for our first scan, and the doctors had indicated that there was something that didn't look right on the screens. And uh, we got told uh, that uh, that my son, uh, I didn't know it was a, my, a boy, my bub at the time, uh, our baby um, was uh, had some its organs on the outside. And uh, this condition meant uh, that it may not uh, may not live, uh, but at the same time they were relatively uh, sort of optimistic and wanted to do more scans. And over the next few uh, weeks and, and months, as we had a number of scans, they started to see more and more challenges. Uh, and they started to really emphasise uh, that we needed to make some decisions. And, and for us, we, we were adamant that we want, we believed that of what God had, uh, had said to us about uh, that He would be He would be born, and uh, we continue to, to uh, trust God in this process and, and continue with the, with the pregnancy even though there was lots of uh, conversations that, that we, we shouldn't because he was a, a chance to um, not live uh, either in birth, uh, sorry, through pregnancy or once he was born and, and potentially have a significant syndrome. So he was born with a, a rare condition. So finally on that day when he was born, it was a miracle that he actually uh, was alive when he was born, um, but he was born with a large, uh, with a, like a hernia. So he's liver, intestine, stomach was all on the outside in a sack outside of his body. And, uh, and our boy, we, we named him Samuel, um, which means God has heard. And this, uh, that was significant as well. And it's a story for another day. Um, but he was born and uh, it was amazing, but it was really challenging. We were experiencing lots of grief because we didn't know if he was going to uh, live uh, through those first few days and weeks and months. We were in a Royal Children's Hospital with him for these first three and a half months of his life. Uh, he was very unwell. I think there's a photo that we've got uh, when he was first born. Um, there he is. Uh, and uh, yeah, he needed oxygen. He had feeding tubes. He, he was on oxygen right up till he was uh, three and a half and, and feeding tubes as well. And, and uh, yeah, there's another photo I think now which we've got which shows just the size of his, his bump. We called it his bump. So this hernia, that was the skin grew over the top. And if you uh, saw Sam though, you would never have known. He was just the happiest kid. Uh, he still is the happiest kid. Um, but he just didn't stop him in any way. I think there's a video that we've got of him using his dad as a bit of a stepladder. Um, like I said, it did not stop him doing anything. That's him dunking off me um, with his bump, uh, not holding him back at all. And, and this was our lives, really. We, we, uh, we engaged with the Royal Children's Hospital and they had plans to do surgery, but there was a big risk if they were going to do surgery, they're going to open up his hernia, his, his bump, and, uh, and what was going to happen. So there was a lots of, uh, I suppose, moments where we weren't sure, is this the right thing to do? Is this um, how we're we going to navigate through these periods of, of his young life and it got to the point when he was uh, was six where he under, underwent a major uh, sort of surgery to prepare for the big surgery which I'll talk about as well. So he was uh, inserted uh, some expanders, so tissue expanders all around his bump. So the, the idea of these when they inserted them were to expand his torso uh, to make that larger, so this could all fit around his back and all around uh, his uh, stomach in that area. Well, they were going to push or hope that was the plan. It was lots of risk involved, incredible amount of risk. And the, obviously the staff of the Royal Children's Hospital, um, they were incredible in the surgeon. We had some of the top surgeons in the country uh, work on this. It was one of the most unique uh, uh, cases that they'd ever done in Australia and I think only the sixth in the world. So this, uh, w- this uh, surgery... Um, was coming up and for six months uh, he 
um, would go in every single week and uh, would have um, put into him volumes of, of fluid because he, they just couldn't expand him in the first week because his little body couldn't take that. They had to gradually expand him, make the space underneath his bump, around his back and torso so they could manoeuvre all his organs into the right spots. So that was over a space of six months. And I'll tell that story a bit later because it's really important. But I'm going to fast forward a little bit to the day that we actually had his major surgery. So this was about two and a bit years ago. And uh, we went into the Royal Children's Hospital. We were living in Melbourne at the time. And, and Sam went under... And uh, he uh, was operated on. And this operation, like I said, it was, uh, we weren't sure what was going to happen. We were praying, churches, people were praying all over the world. And uh, we were believing that God was going to uh, yeah, do, a, do something and, uh, and, and be able to, to, be able to work, this, work this through. And, and uh, just a quick, quick uh, story that's so impactful and still clo- so close to our hearts is the miracle um, that Sam is, that when they opened him up, so they cut him from the bottom of his bump all the way around, Around. They obviously pulled out those tissue expanders, meaning there was the gaps, and uh, you know, with everything sort of just sitting out and uh, the the space there, um, the surgeon and these are their words. We weren't in there; there we were at home. Uh, we we're at our place in Melbourne. Um, but the surgeon uh, he he told us this, and others have said this as well that he looked up because uh, someone came into the room and he looked back down and all of his organs went into the right spots that they had to go. He did not have to touch anything. They all just manoeuvred and positioned themselves in all of his uh, spots. We were supposed to get a call at 3 o'clock. They rang us at 12.30 and say, oh, no, he's all stitched up. He's in recovery. Um, you can come and see him. We weren't even ready. I'd just got back from a, from a bit of a walk down the street. Um, and it was just amazing. So we just praise God for that. That's just incredible. So good. And, you know, like you said, just going back, there was a moment that was really impacting for you when you're actually kind of yeah. mid-journey there too, you know, through lots of trials and tough times. Yeah. So this picture is, is really significant uh, to, to me and, uh, and our family. Um, and it's something that my wife, Amy, after a couple of months, uh, she actually just reminded me about what was actually happening here. And it's, it's just stayed with me for a long period of time. So like I mentioned before that miracle of Sam's surgery, and I think there's a couple of photos actually before that. We just wanted to show of him well um, now with his brother. I think that's a good one to show. Yeah, conflicting there footy he teams here. Oh, the so, highs and lows in your household this yeah, week, he's the, hey? he's the Collingwood guy. He's the Collingwood guy. Yeah, so that's him and he's well and super well. But really important... Uh, got a, sorry to interrupt, we've got another oh, family that's a, photo. Oh, that's another there. family There's photo. The that's the crew, the little baby Miller and my wife Amy and my daughter Bri, who's 22 and she's super, um, yeah, loves God. She, I baptised her when she was uh, 18 a few years back and she's getting married in April next year, which is a miracle and a uh, great guy and um, we, we're stoked and that's... And we, Girls there. I was saying to our morning congregation that you might be the lucky fella that has like a two-year-old <laughs> oh, and then if Brian has some kids, you're like a big grandpa with a two-year-old. Won't oh, that be? Man. You're looking forward to that, I, know. I was really hoping you weren't going to bring that up again. It, it really stuck with me this morning. No, I'm not, I, He's I'm traumatised. Not ready. I'm not ready for that. That's all right, Grandpa. We'll finish <laughs> yeah. up by. We'll, be out, we'll have you out of here by oh, quarter man. past seven. You're oh. probably due for a nap already. Oh, man. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, that's it. Anyway, you're so in the yeah, midst of this yeah, really absolutely. challenging time. Absolutely. 
So I really, something that really stuck with me, and I really would love to finish with this, uh, this tonight, because this is something that is, was, uh, was really impactful, uh, and just a, a picture that, of our God um, that I, I really, I know uh, my wife actually pointed this out to, out to me, and as I share this story, I encourage uh, you to really uh, lean into this. Um, so when my son was... Uh, Going in for these for the tissue expanders that I mentioned when they were inserted, and he had to get volumes, uh, small amounts of uh, uh, liquid put into them so they would expand, and the needle was that long. Um, so he's there going. To, we went into hospital for the first time after his tissues were in all around his body, different spots, and uh, we'd be there, and he take took his shirt off, and he stood there, and I'd we'd stand there all around him. Doctor was there, and we'd coach him. You know, Sam, you can do this, and he just didn't want to do it. He just couldn't do it. We left. It was really, and we're like, how we, what are we going to do? How are we going to get to this? He needs a huge amount of volume of water uh, fluid put into these, and in the end, I'm not sure who suggested it, but in the end, and I think it, it may have even been Sam. He might have been. On my lap at start, but in the end, pretty much for over, I think he had over 55 injections over six months. We used to go in to um, and get two a week uh, for, like I said, for six months. And I used to just lie on the hospital bed, prostrate like that. And he used to just lie on me. So he'd have his whole body, no shirt on, and and he just put all his weight and trust on me, everything. A lot. He just he just lie there, and that's what we did, and that's what we did. Some nights, some days when we went in, he would he'd have two injections. Sometimes he'd have three. Sometimes we had one that was okay, but he would just trust me and just lie completely on me. I'd just lie there. I'd just hop up on the hospital bed, and I'd say, "Come, Sam, let's go." And we'd, they'd put him on me, and that was our week. That was what we did, and that picture. Like I said, Amy, a couple of months in, said, you know, that's a, that's a pretty significant picture, you know, that you're doing. And I said, yeah, well, yeah, I haven't thought of about, about that. But I really want us just to, to really uh, stop and, and just reflect on, on that tonight. And, and for me, uh, when I think of my life and, and about what decision that I made in my early 20s where I came to faith, where I entrusted my, my God, uh, I entrusted my life to Jesus, where I put my weight on Him, that I had fear and worry and, and uncertainty about the future, but I trusted, trusted my heavenly Father. And I encourage you tonight, and I'm going to invite the music team to come up, and uh, we might, uh, thank you, Jono, I might uh, have an opportunity to, to pray, because I, I really even believe, as we've been chatting, and I really feel on my heart tonight, to really encourage you if you're here tonight and if that's something even in your life that you're needing to entrust your life to Jesus, that you need to entrust your life to your Heavenly Father. Maybe there is something that's really challenging. Maybe there's some just some pain that's really causing you to feel really heavy. Maybe you just don't aren't sure about what your future looks like. Well, I encourage you even... As I tell that story about uh, my son, Sam, him lying there, uh, just allowing uh, his weight uh, just to go into my embrace. I encourage you, and we just might close our eyes tonight. I encourage you, even this uh, church tonight, as I did this uh, over 20 years ago where I, I came along here and uh, entrusted my life to Jesus. I encourage you even tonight, if, if, uh, if you're needing to do that, 
if there's something in your life, if there's, if there's some pain, if there's some shame, if you feel even as I share that sense that you're hopeless, there's hopelessness around a situation, around your, your life. I encourage you even now, just with, with your eyes closed, I encourage you just to open your hands to God. Open your hands to Jesus and allow Him to take your embrace. Let Him take whatever it is. I encourage you tonight, even if there is a fear of man, a fear of how other people see you, that you just let go. Let go tonight. There's hurt, there's disappointments, there's heartache, just to let go. Where there is shame, Jesus can bring His healing. His death on the cross has made a way. His embrace, His love for you is available. Father God, I just pray right now. I just pray for those that are here tonight that are just heavy in the heart, that their shame, their disappointment, their discouragement is just really weighting them down. Father God, that weight they don't need to carry, that weight they can give to You. And Lord, right now we just pray that they can just put their weight into Your loving arms. Jesus, we just pray right now. Your children and those that are hurting tonight in this place, we just pray that they can take what is holding them back, the fears, the worries, the hurts, and just fall in Your loving embrace. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. I get you to stand tonight. That'd be great. Let us stand. We're going to worship God. And I encourage you tonight. If uh, I just want to open up uh, just the front of the church tonight. And again, the idea of what I'd love to see happen even here tonight as we worship this song. If tonight you're just, if there's something that's just really, just really just holding your, you back, if there's something that you're really holding on to and, and, and tonight, again, as I pray that you, you can really resonate with that sense that you're just like, oh God, I just, I, just need a, I just need a breakthrough. I just need something. And you know what? God can take that, that heaviness, that, that challenge that you've got, that hurt. So I encourage you tonight with, you know, we'd love just to, for you to come and as we worship God, for you just to come forward, just come up the front and just kneel. We can stand. We've got some guys that would love to pray with you. But as we worship, I encourage you, don't hold back. If you, you know, you don't need to worry about what the person around you or those think, okay? I just encourage you. If God is speaking to your heart tonight, I encourage you to step forward, come to the front and just allow the presence of God just to come over you. Just His, His love, His weight, He can take you can take whatever it is. You haven't gone to, you haven't gone so far. His love is available. His love is available for whatever circumstance, whatever situation that you have tonight. I encourage you, if that is you in this place tonight, I encourage you just to come forward and just allow His love to just to flow over your life. Your, His warm embrace just to cover your shame, your sin, your hurt, your pain. I encourage you to do that tonight. Thanks, guys.